You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. the message. You may, you may be seated. Taking your toddler out is not an excuse for missing the beginning of the message. So if you've been here any length of time, you know that I also work part-time for Royers. I love doing that. That takes me out of the office for holidays, like a Mother's Day holiday, and I have some wonderful men in here who will step up and preach for me. Today, Josh has agreed to do that, so Josh, if you'll come. All right. Good morning. Still got a few people out, so... We'll just have a talk here. Can everybody read that up there? Eventually, I'm going to get these slides down perfect. It says, the best good news ever. A lot of us, I mean all of us really, we like to hear about good news, right? We don't like hearing bad news. Especially now um, in the world that we live in now, on the news That's pretty much all you hear is bad news with, you know, things going on over in Africa and Europe and stuff, the persecutions and everything like that. It's all bad news. But we love to hear good news. Because when we hear good news, there's positivity in it and hope in it. I don't think I've ever woken up or had somebody come up to me and they say, hey, I got bad news. I'm like, yeah, what is it? But when they come up and say, hey, you know, Josh, I got some good news. I'm all perked up and, oh, what is this? What could it be? You know, the anticipation, you know, the excitement of what could it be? When we hear good news, we rejoice. You know, a lot of times, okay, how many mothers? It's Mother's Day, right? When you found out you're going to be a mom for the first time. Who was, well, there might be some in here, so if there is, I'm sorry. But who was like, man, I'm going to have a kid. No. They're all like, yes, babe, look, look. That was the fourth one. (laughs) You know, the fathers are all like, the husbands, you know, they're all dreading that day because here comes the wife, you know, with the good news, of course. But they're like, babe, look, look. It's pregnancy test. Look, it's positive. You know, then, you know, we got to plan the the baby shower and, you know, all the birthdays we're going to have. But we were excited to to express that good news. My daughter is going to homecoming. She went to homecoming. She went to May Day. She went to prom. You know, all good things. You know, you see Facebook posts now all over. Crins all over Facebook with the pictures of my daughter. Suddenly everybody's saying, oh, congratulations. She's beautiful. Graduation. We have ceremonies for graduation. All these things are good news. Good, positive things that are happening in your life. Graduation. Kids are growing up. They're becoming adults. They're moving on with their life. When we have, funer- when we have somebody die, I don't think I hear, unless you're psychotic or something like that, most people don't celebrate when somebody dies. Yes, we have, you know, the funerals and stuff like that. We grieve. That's bad news. 
In Romans 1, 3 through 5, this is paraphrasing, of course, the scripture. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family, shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead, has given us the privilege and authority to tell everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Here Paul summarizes the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a human by natural descent, through Mary, which was a descendant of David, and through David's um, family. He was a part of the Jewish royal line through David. He died and was raised from the dead. He defeated death. He sacrificed himself for us. Which in turn opened the door for God's grace and kindness to be poured out on us. If somebody sacrifices their life for you and you lived, you're going to tell somebody. Oh, man, this guy was so awesome. You know, he did this for me. You know, he, he took the bullet for me. I, I, I could have had the bullet taken, but he did it for me. Most of us wouldn't move on from that and be like, hey, it was a natural occurrence. Whatever, yeah, cool, guy took a bullet. I'm alive. But we would, we would be ecstatic, we would be happy, and we would share that good news. Jesus died on the cross for us. He gave his life. He was part human, part God. He could have easily took his human side and said, I'm sorry, Dad, I can't do this. I mean, I'm living on earth. I got it made. You know, people are worshiping me. You know, they're, they're laying down at my feet wanting to be healed. I have all this power and authority that you gave me. Why would I want to give that all up? But he gave it up for us. He didn't have to. He chose to. That is such good news. That somebody would be willing to die, to sacrifice their life, to go through the pain that he had to go through for us. Luke 24, 27. By the way, Pastor Hub, I think my wife didn't listen to you on that whole not congregating out in the hallway thing. So I'm going to have to have a talk with her. It's going to be some bad news. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the, from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. A lot of times we hear good news, or people make up good news, they make up things, and then we have to kind of go and say, hey, I just heard Brandon got a raise. He's only been here three months. I've been here six years, and he's making more than me now. That's good news for Brandon, he got a raise. But sometimes we can't, in our humanly body, fathom that this guy's only been here three months. I've been here six years, and he's getting a raise above me. So we have to investigate. We have, hey, Bob, is this right? Brandon got a raise? Beginning with the promised offspring in Genesis. Now, the Bible is proof. It's written history. It's God-inspired, but it's written history. Jesus was telling the disciples and the people about himself, proving it by scripture. 
beginning with the promised offspring in Genesis and going through the suffering servant in Isaiah, the pierced one in Zechariah, Okay. Let me go back to this. Okay. I'm going to go back a little bit. The suffering servant in Isaiah. In Isaiah it was written, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, and was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was even persecuted and hung on the cross, wrote this about Jesus. He was pierced. He was stabbed up on the cross. He was crushed for our sins. He died. He was beaten. He was whipped. All things that actually happened to Jesus before he died on the cross. The pierced one in Zechariah. Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. When Jesus was um, pierced in his side, all that wine and everything poured out, that, his blood poured out for us. And the messenger of the covenant of Malachi... In Malachi 4.1 it says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's army. When Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, the temple shook. The curtain ripped down the middle. He made the way for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit to come into us. During the Pentecost, people started teach, um, speaking in um, tongues and things like that. You know, prophesying and everything. That was all proven through the scriptures when Jesus died. So if we need proof that Jesus is who he says he is, or that other Christians or other people say who Jesus is, we have the Bible. When we're speaking to others, we should always refer to the Bible. Not, I heard this, or hey, Bob said this, George said this. We take the Bible and we say, the Bible says this. In Malachi 3.1, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus reintroduced these disciples to the Old Testament. If you look throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole Bible, Jesus is the thread woven through the old scriptures, all the scriptures. He's the central theme that binds them together. In every scripture that you read, there, there's something that pertains to Jesus, whether it be Moses um, walking through the desert to get to the promised land. He was going to the promised land. That's what God promised them. A new land that was given onto him, onto God's people. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in earthly form. We can also see how much God loves us 
in his careful preparation and the details of his efforts to make salvation available to us. God could have easily sent Jesus down to earth and said, hey, listen, you're going to die for these people, so just go down there, talk to a couple people, shake a couple hands, I'm going to hang you on the cross, everything's good to go. Right? But if he did that, how would we know how to be Christ-like? How would we know that through his ministry, from him growing up as a little boy, from him growing up and then speaking and teaching the people, talking to people, healing people, having compassion for others when they are sick, even the harlots and the adulteress and stuff like that, how he was kind to them and said, hey, listen, you did wrong, but go and sin no more, you know? How would we know to deal with all that stuff if he would have just sent Jesus down to earth and said, okay, go down there, do your thing, shake a couple hands, you know, step up on that cross and die. Everybody's been going to be good. He prepared everything that happened from the time earth was made until today. Just because Jesus died on the cross for us and God's whole salvation thing was done doesn't mean God is done. There's a second coming. Jesus is going to come back. So now is the time to prepare for that. During Moses' times and Joshua's and David's and stuff like that, God was preparing the Israelites for Jesus' coming. He was preparing them for a certain time in his plan. That time came when Jesus was born and he was raised up with God's um, guidance and Mary until the time, he the time he died on the cross. There was a certain time period there. Jesus was preparing us for how we should live on earth, how we should walk, and how we should treat others. Now when Jesus died, it was time for the disciples to take over, to teach others, to spread the good news to talk to others, to let them know exactly how we are supposed to act. Did Jesus just come to die on the cross for us so we can just live our lives the way we want? Or, this, or do we have to do these things to honor Jesus' life and his time on earth with us and what he did for us? In Luke 4.43... But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns, too, because that is why I was sent. Why is the kingdom of God such good news? Does anybody have any ideas? Or any, actually, any thoughts? When you hear that, why is the kingdom of God good news? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Eternal life. Salvation. What was that? Freedom from sin. Freedom from pain. It was good news to the Jews because they had been awaiting the coming of the promised Messiah ever since the Babylonian captivity. They were waiting for this Messiah. For somebody to come along and to save them. It finally happened. They finally have their Messiah. Even though some of those at the time didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. 
They were waiting for this big, strong king to come over and overthrow the Romans and take over the government, you know, save them that way, do, do what they wanted done. How many times has God acted in our life in exactly the way we wanted him to? Um, not many in mine. I've got a couple instances he worked the way I wanted to, but I think that was just because he was putting that in my head. It is good news for us also because it means freedom from slavery to sin and selfishness. When we live for Jesus, we live for God. We don't live for ourselves. My thoughts, we really don't live for Jesus completely either because if we um, share the scriptures and we share Jesus to others, we are living for them. We care more about their salvation, their well-being and their rightness with God than our own. We're, we're right with God. If we're doing what God wants us to do, we're, we're sharing the word, we're being compassionate, we're listening to others, we're, we're sharing the good news, we're talking about Jesus, we're right, we're doing what God wants us to do. Now we're worried about other people because we're sharing it to them. We don't want to see them live in this world and not know God. Because when Jesus comes back and he comes down and he says, hey, why are you living this way? And they say, oh, well, I heard about you, but, you know, that's not my cup of tea. Well, then get away from me, I never, for I had never known you. We, that's going to be a hard, hard sell. It's a hard sell for me now because I have people in my family that say they believe or, you know, say they don't believe at all. It's bad because I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to be up there with Everyone in this room, we, sit, we all sit down together like we're doing now and worshiping Jesus together up in heaven, and then I look over and there's not the people that I know say they don't believe in Jesus. So I'm trying not to live for myself, but to live for them so they don't have to go through hell and torment. The kingdom of God is here and now, because the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of believers. It's right now. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to be right with God, to, to worship God, to live for him. We do it now. And we do it now by sharing the word of God, by sharing the good news to others. So when he does come back, he's not having to go through a seating chart and being like, hey, Oh, Josh, yep, here you go. You're, you're going to go ahead and sit in aisle one there. George? No, sorry, you're not even on the seating chart. You can just go ahead and go down those steps down there to the lower level. Somebody will be with you. I don't want to see that. I want to see when Jesus comes back, he sees all these people lining up. He doesn't have to go, okay, yep, one, two, three, go ahead. Oh, nope, you're down there. He can just be like, there you go, guys. The kingdom awaits you. It's sad to say that's not going to happen. We know there's a lot of people that are already dead that we know are going to hell. Yet it is also in the future because Jesus will return to reign over a perfect kingdom where sin and evil will no longer exist. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to walk out your door right now, hop in your car and drive down the road, and not have to worry about anybody being on their cell phone, somebody's angry, and you know, you kind of get over a little too close to them, and next thing you know, they're chasing you down and stuff like that. No sin. 
No evil. You don't have to worry about locking your doors at night because you're afraid somebody's going to break into your house and steal something or do worse. You don't have to worry about your kids walking out front and and playing in their own yard and worry about somebody coming by and abducting them or something like that. That's one of my biggest fears. Anytime Gracie and Liam and I walk outside or we're walking down to my car, I have to hold their hand, even though I'm walking on my own sidewalk. I know the people that are next door to me. I mean, the people that are right next door are a little weird, but, you know, I learned to deal with them. But it would be an awesome time not to have to worry about that. People nowadays worry about all that stuff. But wouldn't it be nice to share the good news with them that there is a time coming that you're not going to have to worry about that? It's not now. It's in the future, but there is a time. There is going to be a time when you don't have to worry about that. Just like kids. Kids growing up. Every teenager thinks that they know everything. When I move up and I move out, oh yeah, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this. I'm not worried about that. And you try to tell them, hey, listen, you got a job. Yes, that's awesome. You got money also, but you have to save. You have to prepare for this. You have to do this. No, no, Dad, I got that. I'm not worried about that. We try to tell them, we try to teach them that there is a way to live better in the future. There is better times. Yes, you have to listen to us under our house, under our rules. You move out, you do what you want. You'll have freedom. But now, you have to listen to me. It's awesome to be able to share news with others. That yes, even though now there is pain, there is suffering, there is torment, there is worrying, there is a time coming where none of that is going to matter. You're not going to have to worry about how you're going to pay next, next month's bills or worry about your kids walking outside and being hurt. You're not going to worry about getting sick. Oh, if I get sick and I, I can't go to work, I can't make the money, I got this bill paid. We're not going to have to worry about any of that stuff. I mean, technically, my thought is you don't have to worry about that now anyways. Whatever happens, happens. We have no control over that. God does. That's where prayer comes in. A lot of people think just because you don't see Jesus now, you don't see God, that he's not here, but he is. He's, he's sitting in the pews beside you. He's sitting in the pew in front of you. All you have to do is talk to him. And he listens. He's not like parents now. Well, my wife will contest to this. He's not like, you know, sitting on the sofa watching TV and the kids are trying to tell you something and you're like, uh-huh, yep, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. A couple of days later, hey, Dad, did you remember? You didn't tell me that. Yeah, I did when you were watching TV the other day. He listens. No matter what you say at any time of day, you can be driving down the road talking to him. He's listening. He's there beside you. Sleeping in your bed, getting ready to go to sleep and talk to him. He's there beside you. Just because you're nestled in your little comfort zone beside your wife or your husband, you think he's not there because that's a private moment. He's there. He's everywhere. Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. That right there is good news and bad news. Good news because Jesus is coming back. 
bad news is, he's not coming back until everybody hears about him. So if we got 75 people in this room, and I tell one person about Jesus, there's still 74 more that haven't heard about him yet. So now i got to wait until hopefully that person tells somebody else, and then that person tells somebody else. So say one person talks to one person once a year. It's going to take 75 years for Jesus to come back to earth. I'm sorry, but I can't wait that long. Jesus said that before he returns, the good news about the kingdom, the message of salvation, will be preached throughout the world. I'm sorry, but if I had to wait 75 years just for the 75 people in this room, how long do you think we're going to have to wait for the billions of people on earth until they get the message, until they hear about Jesus? This was the disciples' mission at that time when Jesus died. And it is ours today. People in Africa, people in, you know, Australia and stuff like that, they're not going to hear about Jesus. They're not going to hear about the good news unless we go there and tell them. That's why we have missionaries. They go into other countries where Jesus isn't, isn't spoken about and they speak about him. We have people in our own community that have probably never heard about Jesus. They might have heard the name. They might have heard the name in vanity, too, and that's just the only way they heard about him, but they don't know the true Jesus. They don't know exactly who he is and what he did for us. The only way they're going to know is if we go out and we tell them ourselves, whether it be at work, talking to someone, if you're in the grocery store, and you see somebody going through a hard time at the grocery store, stressing about money or something like that with groceries, and you go up to them and say, hey, I see you're stressing. You know, I just want to, how can I help you? You know, I was taught through Jesus and through the Bible and growing up that this is what we do for others. How can I help you? Whether it just be talking to them and listening to the problems that they have, whether it be helping them financially, you know, hey, do you need a couple more dollars? I see, you know, you might not have enough. Do you need a little more? Whether it be that way, that's the only way we're going to be able to spread the good news. In school, they tell you to read your, to read your, um, your book, whether it be the math book or whatever, to do the problems. If kids have um, a problem with a, a math problem and they don't know how to solve it, they go to the teacher. The teacher walks them through it and shows them what to do. It's the same thing with us. We see people living a hard life, whether they're tormented, they're in pain, they're stressed out or whatnot, they're not going to know how to live stress-free, torment-free or anything like that unless we show them that there is a way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. That way is by reading your Bible. The Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth. It's an instruction book. I think I said it before in a sermon before. You get a table from Ikea or something like that. They come with all these parts and, and all these um, instructions on how to do it. Many of us don't pull it out and be like, oh, instructions, yeah, okay. And then they just start putting it together. It might come together, but it might only last for a little bit. 
Eventually, it's going to fall apart and go back to the way it was, just a pile of parts on the floor. You use the instructions, you do it exactly as the instructions say, and it comes out perfect every time. Unless, you know, you try to skip steps one and four and stuff like that, and you got little pieces left over, and you're like, where do these go? Then you got to tear it all apart and put it all back together. It's the same thing by reading the Bible. If we follow Jesus, we share the good news, we share exactly what the Bible says, that gives new believers, new Christians, an instruction book and a way to live. If they can't see you, if you've only met them one time and they don't know you from Adam, but you tell them that reading the Bible will tell you how to live, reading the Bible will alleviate all these problems that you have. Carry an extra Bible with you. If they don't have a Bible, give it to them. Then they don't have to worry about calling you up and say, hey, Brandon, I know you said the other day about this, but, you know, where exactly is that in the Bible? Or where exactly can I find that? You gave them the Bible. If they don't know you, they don't have a reason that they can't go look in the Bible themselves. If they don't have you to tell them what to do, the Bible is the next best thing. The Bible is actually the only good thing, your second best. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This verse describes a series of ever-widening circles. The good news was to spread geographically from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth. It's kind of like throwing a rock into a pond. When you throw a rock into the pond, you're going to have where the rock hits, boom, then there's going to be one little ripple. It, that doesn't stop there. It spreads out. And you get ripple and ripple and ripple and ripple and ripple. That's the only way we're going to be able to spread the good news is we continue those ripples. We tell one person, they tell one person, we tell another person, they tell another person. By the end of the day, if everybody talks to at least one person, we'll have spread the news to, if we talk to one person and they talk to one person, by the end of the day, if they talk to a person every hour, that's about 12 people that now have heard the good news. It would begin with the devout Jews in Jerusalem and Samaria, spread to the people of mixed races in Samaria, and finally be offered to the Gentiles all over the world. God's message has not reached its final destination. If someone in your family, your workplace, your school, or your community hasn't heard the good news about Jesus Christ. I guarantee I know at my work, there's a couple people that do know about Jesus. There's a couple people that I think don't know about Jesus, or if they do, they don't know what Jesus could do for them because they just heard about him and that's it. They know he's a Christian. They know he's supposedly, you know, part God or whatever. But they don't know exactly what he can do for you. Communities all over the world are becoming increasingly diverse. We have blacks, we have Hispanics, we have white, we have Russians, Ukrainians, you know, Mexicans. Everybody's different now. 
that's good and that's bad. It's good because it gives us a mix of each other's um, nationality, what they, how they live, how they were raised and stuff like that. It's bad because now with society, the way society is now, you walk up to a black guy or a Puerto Rican or a Mexican or whatever, white people get scared sometimes to talk to them. It's the same thing vice versa because we don't think we know how to relate to them. But if you talk to them about Jesus and they accept it and they, they say, yeah, yeah, I want to know more about this, now you have a common ground. You can talk about Jesus. You can talk about how he saved us, what he's doing for you, what he can do for them, what he can do for their family, their situations. We all have a common ground. The nationality, the ethnic groups and stuff like that gets erased. It comes completely non-void. People of every nation, tongue, and race are living in our communities. It's not like it was back in like the 50s or the 40s or maybe even the 60s hub um, where it was white community and then you had the black community. You might have had a couple Mexicans or whatever, Chinese and stuff in this community. But if you ever saw one of these people in this community, oh, something's going on. It's not like that now. You walk down the street, you see people everywhere, which is good. We're, we're starting to get along. But there are still those instances where you're like, hey, what's he doing on that corner? That's a shady corner, and, you know, why is he over there? We are to make sure that we are contributing in some way to the ever-widening circle of God's love, loving message. Just because we see somebody that's down and is not of our ethnic group or of our social stature, there's no reason not to talk to them. That gives you even more reason to talk to them because you want to see them to do better. You want them to know about God, know about, that's the only reason we should be living our lives right now. It shouldn't be to get this money, to get this nice house, to get this nice car, to, you know, get this nice job. It should be about spreading the word of God, telling others about him, telling others about what he can do for them. First Thessalonians 1.5. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. The good news came with power. It wasn't just, you know, a couple words and that was it. He had the Holy Spirit backing you when you talk to someone about Jesus. He is always there. When you start talking about Jesus and the good news, the Holy Spirit is like perked up. He's like, Ooh, what? Ooh, my chance, my chance. Let's jump in here. He's going he's gonna to be right there powering you and giving you power, giving you the words of what to say. It had a profound effect on the Thess Thessalonians, and I can guarantee that you spreading the word is going to have a profound impact on whoever you spoke to. If you do it with heart, and with the proper intentions. Whenever the Bible is heard and obeyed, lives are changed. 
a lot of us here heard about Jesus, heard about the good news, and at first we were probably like, eh, all right, yeah, sounds all right. But after a couple more times of hearing about it, our life still going the way it was and stuff like that, we finally said, okay, let's get a little, let's get a little strict with this. Let's get a little more in-depth. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I want to find out exactly what this is all about. We get curious. Hey, how comes this person's living so good over here? He doesn't worry about anything. He's a Christian, I know, but why? Why doesn't he worry about anything? Now I start reading the Bible. I got, I got to find out what this guy's reading in this book, you know. And then as we read the Bible and then we start to believe, our mind changes, our attitude changes, in turn our life situations change. Now when we get stressed out about something, we don't get stressed out about something. Something comes into our life that would stress us out in the past, no longer stresses us out because we know that we have the assurance through the Bible that the Holy Spirit and God will be with us and get us through it. Christianity is more than a collection of knowledge or a religious system. Because of Jesus' work of salvation, the power of God through the Holy Spirit resides in everyone who believes. So it's not just a book. It's not just a religion. It's not just a bunch of people getting together and talking about a common, common person. There's power in that. When those people come together, when you read the Bible, when you spread the word, there's power that goes out to others. I'm going to leave you with a thought. Think about what has God's power done in your life since you first believed. From the very first time you heard about Jesus. At that time in life, in your life, how were you acting? How were you thinking? How were you living your life? Think about that at, at that time. I can tell you right now, for me... I wasn't living in a good place. I was selfish. I was always about myself. I was doing drugs. I was committing crimes. I was in and out of halfway houses and recovery. I was in jail and out of jail a couple times. That's where my place was in life before I heard about Jesus. Then through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus' plan and God's plan, I came into a loving family See, this is the only time I can start to get teary-eyed. I met my wife, which at the time, you know, at the time I was still in my selfish nature. You know, I saw her and I was like, oh, hey. See if I can meet up with that. But God had another plan. God was like, go ahead, think that. But I want her in your life for a reason. What you think it is is not what I think it is. I met her, I met her family. We started going to Columbia Christian Fellowship when we were up on um, 8th and Walnut. There at um, Sing... I forget the name of it. Yeah. JCC. And that was God's plan that I got into that church. I was doing drugs, stuff like that, you know. I was still living selfishly. I was like, okay, I'll go to church for her. Her family goes to church, I'll go to church for her. 
not knowing that God was giving me those little breadcrumbs. Here, follow me, follow me, come on. Then once I believed, it was a turning point in my life that most people ha- do not have the luxury of saying. A lot of people say, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to belief and they're believing in God was gradual. Mine was not. You know, I got back up from Virginia from doing drugs and stealing my mom's car and all that other stuff. I got up home. I was tired. I couldn't do it on myself anymore. I told my co-defendant and stuff like that, don't talk to me, don't call me, don't come around no more. I actually laid down. I was sleep, actually sleeping on my mother, my mom's um, apartment floor because I had nowhere to go. And I prayed to God and I said, listen, God, I cannot do this on my own anymore. I have done rehabs. I have tried to do it for my, for my family, my daughter, and stuff like that. I cannot do it on my own anymore. Please help me. I actually got woke up the next morning by my mom, which was, she woke me up with drugs because she did drugs at the same time. And she was like, hey, do you want some of this? My old natural self, my old humanly spiritual or fleshly self would have been like, yeah, sure, sweet. But I said, no. I said, I could have got you three times for 50 bucks. But no, I don't want any because I'm just going to want more later. I said, okay, I got to get out of here. I walked from, her apartment was actually right across from Great CC, right there on 8th and Walnut. I walked from 8th and Walnut to Wrightsville in the snow. The whole time walking there, I thought, people were out shoveling their sidewalks. I need to... I need to go down through town and just shovel everybody's sidewalks. Not ask for a dime. I'm not even going to tell anybody I'm doing it. I'm just going to go shovel sidewalks. Of course, I didn't have a shovel, so that didn't happen. But I got to my uncle's garage, and he asked me to plow out his driveway for him. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I got on his tractor that had a plow. I plowed it out. I shoveled out the handicap spot. And he was like, I told him, I was like, hey, I got the driveways done. I shoveled out the handicap spot also. And he was like, but you didn't have to do that. He was like, nobody ever uses that spot. I was like, yeah, but this could be that one day that somebody comes in there and needs it, so it's, it's shoveled. He was like, okay, cool. But from that time on, I, I actually did that. I, I did that walk every day. Friday comes, my stepdad, I end up getting a call that my stepdad died from a drug overdose. Saturday, I actually came to church and went down to the basement with Pastor Hub and prayed to be saved, gave my life to Jesus. And then that night I got into a car accident and I was thinking, well, what's this for? But hey, Jesus saved me. That was my first thought also. Any other person, if you watch movies and stuff like that, anytime something hard happens to them and they're a believer, they're always like, why did Jesus do this? Why did God allow this to happen? They don't look at the other aspect. God didn't do that. God saved you from that. That was the way I looked. In my old ways, I would have been like, really? I just gave my life to you, Lord, and you let me get in a car accident? Come on now. I read, um, I think it was Psalms 114, and it said in there about the evil one setting a snare for you and trying to trap you, and that's what it was. Satan was trying to deter me from going to God. Satan was trying to tell me that you just gave your life to God and he is allowing this to happen to you? You're on the wrong side there, buddy. I didn't take it that way because I was, yes, I was new in faith, but I have a feeling that the Holy Spirit and God gave me more faith than what I actually wanted at that time or I needed. 
And I knew that it wasn't God that did that to me. Satan did that to me. God saved me. These, I tell you this story for a reason. These are the stories that I feel people need to hear. Exactly how God, what exactly God has done in your life that has given your faith and your strength so much power, so much that you want to live for him. I could have died. I could have died in that car accident. My, my cousin thought I was dead. I woke up in the hospital. You know, and it was funny, though, because my mom was there. Corinne and I weren't even dating at the time. We were still just talking. Um, and my mom said, is there anybody you want me to call? And I was like, yeah, call Corinne. Corinne gets on the phone. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And she was like, do you want me to come? Do you want me to come there? And I said, no, no, you have Dylan. You stay home with Dylan. I was an idiot. Corinne lived with her mom and dad. They could have watched him. She could have been there by my side. But no, I said, no, you stay there with him. That was the thinking in my head. My selfishness would have been like, heck, yeah, come pamper me. Come, you know, you know, worry about me and stuff like that. But I didn't. I was worried about her and her son. That is the thinking that comes along with truly believing in God, truly believing in Christ. That unselfishness, that worrying about others, how they are doing in life, how they are receiving the Holy Spirit, and how they are living. So when you get a chance to share about Jesus, use those kinds of experiences. Use those to show them that what God can do in your life. I tell the boys, the manners boys all the time, when you look at me, what do you see? Oh, yeah, nice guy, blah, blah, Yes, well, about 12 years ago, I was in the exact same spot you are. Drugs, in and out of jail and stuff like that. But God's power saved me. God's love and compassion saved me. There was nothing. I tried everything on my own. I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do it until I gave God my life and said, listen, I've been in the driver's seat for 25, 27 years. I've wrecked this car plenty of times. I want you to drive. And don't be afraid to talk to others. Don't think that just because you're shy and you don't think you can relate to them, you can't express to them exactly how much God, lo God loves them. Your stories, regardless, God is going to get through. Whether it's just a little bit where the person says, you know what, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I should read the Bible. Whether he picks that Bible up one time or he picks it up every day from here on out. You did your part. You spread the good news. It's up to them, depending on how much time they have or how much um, faith they have and how hard the devil has a hold on them, God will get through regardless. Your mission and your job on earth is just to share the good news. You're not to make them believe. It's just to share the good news. If you come upon somebody and you get that little thought in your head, hey, I, I, should, I should talk to this guy about Jesus, and you don't, you're disobeying God. God wants us to share the news, to share the good news. What, does God, what do we do with disobedient children? Usually we give them consequences. We punish them. Um, you know, well, some of us do. Some of us don't. God will do the same thing. If he puts somebody in your life 
to talk to and you don't talk to them, it may not be a, a hard consequence. It may just be the fact that, hey, I put this person in your life to talk to and you didn't talk to them. I'm done. I'm not giving you anybody else to talk to. You just sacrificed that person and all the other people God could have put in your life to talk to to spread the good news. Because you didn't feel that you were well enough or you were prepared enough to talk to that person. You don't have to be prepared. God is already preparing you for them. But we do have to spread the good news. It's in the Bible. It is his rules. It's his plan. So with that, I just ask you, please, do what God is asking you. Do what your Father is asking you to do. Spread the good news. Talk to others. Allow them to enjoy the love, the peace, and the compassion that God has for you. Allow them to share in that. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.